has brought all the thankful notes up at the end of service last time, and that was really cool. And just looking at how many of you were thankful for your families and for God's provision in your life. Sometimes we don't realize the power of being grateful. Because when we're grateful, it really actually rewires how we think and feel and behave. So this morning, we're going to talk about John chapter 17, which is known as Jesus's high priestly prayer. So Jesus is about to go to the cross. Now, I want you all to think like this with me for a second. The Bible, the New Testament, has not been written. So when we read this, we read it with 2,500 years, or not quite that, but close, 2,100 years of history. They don't get it with that. It's happening. They're actually practicing this as Jesus is praying it. Like they're hearing it for the first time. So imagine this. You're one of Jesus' inward guys. You're like one of the 12. You're in the inner circle. And you're following a guy who says, I'm going to bring a kingdom. And all of you think he's going to reestablish Israel. And you're all going to be his right and left-hand men. That's what everybody is thinking. Like he's going to conquer Rome and we're going to rule. The temple's going to be, it's going to be awesome. And we're with them. We're super close. And then Jesus starts talking to them and they don't get it. He starts saying stuff like this. I'm going to get betrayed. The son of man's going to be lifted up. He's going to die. They're going to crucify me. And they're thinking this, ah, oh, whatever, Jesus. You, don't, you, know, like, you know what I mean? Like we're thinking kingdoms and thrones. Like we're thinking the best job in the whole empire. That's what we're thinking. And he's saying, I've come to do my father's bidding, my, my father's business. And when Jesus enters into this, he starts, this is important, he starts by praying for himself. So listen, some of you, let me give you a clue. One of the prayer essentials, you should start by praying for who? Yourselves. Now, I want you to note some of the ways he prays, because if you're anything like me, when I pray for myself, God is hooking me up. I'm just saying, you know, I mean, like, I'm praying that he's blessing me, and, but, but that's not actually the way that Jesus prays in this scenario. He's actually really clear with what he prays. And, and I just want to walk you through some of what he does. So John chapter 17, verses 1 and 2 says, Jesus spoke these things and lifting his eyes up to heaven. By the way, we pray in lots of ways, don't we? We saw in, John, or in Paul's prayer, he said, I bow my knee before the Father. Here we see Jesus lifting eyes. They, they, their eyes open, looking up toward heaven. So there are lots of different ways you can pray is the point I'm making. Listen as he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to, who, whom, that to all whom you have given him, may he give them eternal life. Okay, so first off, I just want to break down a few things. There's timing to prayer. Now, I don't mean the time that you pray. I'm talking about the answers. How many of you have ever been praying for a long time for something? salvation of a loved one, a better job, you know, whatever. I mean, you've been praying for a long time. God has perfect timing to the answers to prayers. Man, I remember when I was single. Oh, my gosh. I didn't get married till I was 32, right? I was that. I, and, and by the way, that's not when it was vogue to get married at 32. If you got married at 32, there was something wrong with you. I'm serious. And I always would think, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm pretty cool, and I surf, and I, and I lead Bible studies. Like, I'm a good guy. And what I, what I learned was, because I'm 10 years older than my wife, I had to wait, because she had to get old enough for me to marry her, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. There's timing, though, is the point that I'm making. Jesus is saying this, the hour has now come. Listen, can I encourage you some? Don't lose heart. We don't know God's timing. We really don't. But you can sense it. You know what I'm saying? You can sense when God is about to break forth, when he's about to move. You know, and I shared this with the church a few weeks ago. I was in prayer. This is probably three months ago. Some of you remember Dennis when he came, Dennis Rainier. Came and ministered on a Sunday morning, Sunday night. Really cool. And, and he gave me his book. Um, and I was sitting on the front patio reading his book. And, and the Lord just really spoke to me really clearly that morning. And he said, you're, you're going to see a release of the Spirit in your church this year. And it'll come in three waves. You'll see. And he said, and you'll know when it's happening. That sense of knowing. That's what, what I'm talking about. By the way, can I help you? It's happening. The first one's happening. There's just a sense of passion, a sense of hunger, a sense of desire. And, and if you don't know that, that is actually what God is bubbling up in you. Like when you're, how many of you are kind of excited to come to church? Please help me. Please raise your hand. <laughs> I, I look forward to coming to worship. Because I know this, that when we all gather together and we start worshiping, 
God declares by his word that he'll show up. He'll show up. And not only will he show up, but he'll demonstrate his power. He'll manifest his glory. He'll do what he does best. So when we gather together for worship, I don't walk in the room thinking, hey, we're going to have a, a nice few songs and, and we're going to teach a Bible study. I think this, people are going to encounter the power of God. Now, I don't often know how you encountered him. Sometimes you guys tell me stories, sometimes you don't. But I'm confident of this. There is something moving by the Spirit of God in our church that is different than it was even two months ago. And I'm just walking in it. I'm hoping that it lasts for a really long time because I like that stuff. But, but when God says it's done, it'll be done. But right now, the hour has what? Come. See, Jesus is understanding this, and he's teaching us a principle. Praying for himself, he said, hey, the hour has come. Your prayers have timing. Then he goes on to say this, and he uses the word glory. Now, notice in this chapter as I'm reading, there's lots of times he'll be repetitive. Like he uses the word glory, I think, three times in this verse. He's going to use truth often. He's going to use manifest often. Anytime you see that in scriptures, it's important. So he's saying, listen, glorify, to praise, to magnify, to celebrate, watch, to honor. So when you think of glorifying God, what does that mean to you? What does that mean to you? Does that mean just going about the day? I certainly hope not. It means to demonstrate him, to put him high. It, listen, it means this, that your life is a walking billboard. So watch, when I come to church, as the pastor of this church, this is how I come in. God, glorify yourself in me so you can glorify yourself in them. Like, let my gift come out with power so that they can be equipped so their gifts will come out with what? Power. So that you can manifest the glory of God in you. Now listen, when you think that, don't always think weird. Sometimes we hear words like that, we're like, oh, that's weird. That's all those holy roller people. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about moving with God as he leads you. Listen, it could be as simple as not walking by the guy who says homeless, need food, actually talking to him might be the person at work that's talking about their marriage crashing and burning and you actually stop and say can we help you or my church does some counseling stuff we could help you it's actually taking enough interest in your brother or sister to say God is present in your life and he sent me as a messenger that's all it is it's just being what aware aware willing am I talking to anybody help me yeah that's I want to encourage you all that you're Jesus out and about, and I know you're not literally Jesus, please understand, that you carry his manifestation, his power. The Spirit of God lives in you. When you go out and about, you go to places that other people don't see or touch. And Jesus is saying, you're the one. I put you there on purpose so that you could talk to him, so that you could encourage him. Listen, I know this. Some of you are sitting in the room because that happened to you. Because somebody took enough interest to say, God still cares about you. See, that's what Jesus, he's saying, listen, glorify God, glorify God. And he says, he goes on and he uses this word authority. He said, even as you gave him authority over all flesh. Now, this idea of authority, this is like the power over all flesh. So I want to explain something to you. You guys ever wonder, why did Jesus need to come? Like God is God. Couldn't God just, and everything's fixed? I mean, he's sovereign, right? He's, he holds all authority. God can do whatever he wants. But what's wild about God is even though he's all-powerful, he limits himself to his own word. That, that's wild to me. Like, I think God can do whatever he wants. He doesn't need to use the gap-toothed pastor to preach to you. He can just show himself. He doesn't need to do it that way. But, but when I look at the incarnation, this is what it is. See, some of us don't understand this. This is a significant portion of Christology. It's theology. Adam, when he violated God in the garden, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they gave dominion over to who? Satan. They sinned. They broke fellowship with God. Now, Adam was a man. He did that in the flesh. So God, yes, God could have snapped his fingers, but we lost authority in the flesh. Jesus came in the flesh as a sinless man to regain authority. That's why he actually came. Incarnation. In the flesh, literally. And it says this in John 1, that he came and he dwelt among us. He tabernacled. In other words, he experienced our life. I say this all the time. Sometimes people get uptight with me. I know Jesus struggled with everything I do. He struggled with people trying to get him drunk. He struggled with girls. He struggled with money. He struggled. You know how I know that? Because the Bible says he was tempted in every way. And it says that he can sympathize with my weakness. Well, you know what? If you weren't actually tempted, you can't actually sympathize with me. 
It's kind of like when you tell somebody a story about something that happened to you, and they go, oh, I understand. You're like, no, no, you don't. Like I was working with a guy that came out of the military, post-traumatic, really, really bad, and he was talking to me, and I cautioned myself, don't say I understand, because I don't. I've never been in the military. I've never been in combat. I don't understand. I can be sympathetic, but I cannot be empathetic. I cannot enter into his actual experience. I've never been there. See, but God said this, Jesus came in the flesh so that he would experience everything you and I experience. And it says that he was out without sin and he conquered the power of sin. It's the verse that I read during worship. He, he took dominion over the, the domain of darkness. And he set us in the domain of his loving son. That's what the father did for us. So why did Jesus need to come? Why did he exercise all authority? Listen, this is the difference between other religions and walking with Jesus. You know, I, I, I know you guys are going to laugh when I say this. I sure don't hear anybody saying, you know, like how, how we use in slang, and I don't mean to say this publicly, but to use the illustration. Somebody goes, ah, oh, Jesus Christ. Nobody walks around going, ah, oh, Buddha. They don't do it. Ah, oh, Krishna. They, they don't do it. Why? Because you're only going to malign a name that has authority. That's why. See, Jesus actually has authority. Listen, in the, the demonstration of that, and I am on a tangent right now, but just hang with me. The demonstration of that is of all the people that said that they would do whatever they did, Muhammad, still in the grave. Buddha, still in the grave. Jesus' grave is what? It's empty. It's empty. He said, I'm going to conquer death. I'm going to resurrect on the third day. I'm going to ascend to the right hand of the Father. And he did that, witnessed by over 500 people. Oh, they were just making it up. Man, I can't get the 100 of you in the room to agree, let alone 500 on different occasions. It would never happen. See, listen, you've got to think that this is all like a release. This is a resetting of the boundaries. Jesus is saying, Father, you gave me all authority. Now watch, I'm going to give it to them. So, so listen, listen. Some of you are so, like, I love you all. I love it when you bring people to me to pray for them. I do, I do. I'll pray for them. I have no problem with that. But do you know you have as much authority as I do? God, I, I'm pretty sure the Holy Spirit that lives in you lives in me. You know the, one of my favorite things, my, my favorite demonstrations of this, get a kid to pray for somebody sick. There's no fear in them. They're just like, oh, God, heal them. Jesus, heal them. And, and then I've watched it happen with kids praying. And I think, okay, so is their Holy Spirit bigger than mine? I don't know, you know. No, you've been given authority is the point that I'm making. You've been given authority. And Jesus said that. He said, even as you gave, as he gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. Now, when I was in, in seminary, um, we had to read a lot and study a lot about eternal life. And so I got a question for you. When you think about eternal life, a few questions. Is it about the length? No, I don't think so, because technically speaking, you can't measure eternity. It's not actually a measurement of time. We think that way, but, but it's truthfully not that. So is it about quality of life? Maybe. Not if you're in hell, there's no quality, right? But you're still eternal, aren't you? Because beings, we live eternally. What, what about stuff, having things? No, no, no. And no, watch, Jesus tells us what, this is eternal life, verse 3, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. That they, they would know, perceive, comprehend. Listen, this is the intimacy of a knowledge between a husband and a wife. Wow. Listen, sometimes we think like this, that, that prayer is for people who are spiritual. Listen, can I, can I tell you a secret to prayer? Sure. Prayer is about depth and intimacy. See, my, my dad and I had a great relationship. My dad's with Jesus today. He passed actually 20 plus years ago, a long time. He's a great man. It wasn't always a great man. He was a hothead, kind of like me when I was young. Anyways, I, you know, so, but my dad was really, so I had a really good father relationship with my dad and, and he imparted so many valuable things. And I remember there were times I would walk in the room to talk to my dad and this is how I would walk in. He's gonna have the answer. Anybody have that person in your life, like the mentor person, that when they speak, they're right? Listen, this Pastor Dave for me today, 
Like you guys know Pastor Dave, he ministered a few weeks ago. Pastor Dave and I are really close friends. When I need wisdom, I call Dave and I say, Dave, what do you think about this? And he goes, you're thinking about it wrong, <laughs> you know? And I love that he's that honest. There's times where he's like, no, you're seeing it clear. The other times he's like, no, do this. And I've learned this with him. I just come underneath his authority and I listen to it. I do what he says because I've trusted him as a mentor. And he's human, I get that, but I respect him. Listen, can I take this a little deeper? Your relationship with God is the same. So when I go to prayer, I expect God to answer me. And only like three amens. The rest of you okay? Because some of you are like, I go pray, God don't, man, nothing. I get distracted, pastor. I need toast and coffee first, you know, or something. I, all of us have this. The, the, we all get distracted easily. But when I pray, I expect God to do what? Now, now, please understand, I'm not trying to be like flippant with God. Like, you have to answer. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about faith. I'm talking about when I go to him, I believe when I ask, I'll receive. Now, I shared with this with you a number of weeks ago. God sometimes answers yes. Sometimes he answers no. And sometimes he answers, wait. But he does always what? Answer. He'll answer you. Now, I don't know why he answers in those ways. That's up to God, not me. But I want to encourage you that this intimacy that I'm talking about, this, this sense of eternal life, it doesn't start when you get to heaven. It starts when? Right now. now. You're as eternal now as you were 10 years ago. Like, we think too much temporarily, like only in this earth. And part of the reason why we struggle so much in American Christianity is we live for today or next week or a year or two or our retirement. We live within the span of our lives. And, and that's not unwise for the record. But you could get your retirement, be really quite comfortable, and never have glorified God. See, somewhere these things need to go together. Like God needs to be the highest priority in your life. See, when I first started praying, tell me if this happened to you guys. I would pray about anything, everything, and, and I just kind of assumed that God was in agreement with me. <laughs> oh, I got one person agreeing. Oh, that's cool. Like, you know, if somebody did me wrong, I'd pray like, God, you got to get them. And you and I were on the same team, but not them. You know, what I, you know what I'm saying? And it took me a long time to learn this about prayer. Okay, watch. This is important what I'm going to say. God, search my heart and know it. God, how are you going to use me in this situation? What are you showing me that I'm not seeing clearly? What are you doing in my heart that maybe has nothing to do with them at all, but you're working in me? How is it that you want me to handle this thing? How do you want me to pray for this thing? You know, like a, a, this, this might sound a little odd. There are, I've been in lots of hospital rooms, and I've you know, watched people go from this life to the next on many occasions. And I've walked in talking with family, and I always ask this question, how do you want me to pray? You know, because I've done this with people that were in their 90s, and I've done it with people in their 20s. Across the board, people in their 20s, the family always says, ask God to heal them. In their 90s, sometimes they'll say, we want to release her, release him. We want him to be, be able to go on to God. See, I, I understand that there's this, there's this authority in prayer, this understanding to partner with people with where they're at to, to release what God is doing in them. See, I, I want to encourage y'all to be sensitive be aware. This is what Jesus is doing. He, he's God. He's God. Hello? He's God. But he's still praying as a man. And he's, be, watch, modeling for us how to walk out this journey of faith. He initially prays for himself. And, and, he, and he does it in such a way that when he prays, he knows God is going to move. God is going to change something. See, when we pray, search our hearts, we're agreeing with, I think, what God would want. See, God, help me to live out my calling. Watch so the people I'm praying for can live out theirs. Listen, you guys are all called. This is what Jesus is going to do. He's going to transition in a second from praying for himself to praying for the disciples. But let's finish a few more verses. In verse 4, he says, I glorified you on the earth. There's that word again. Having accomplished the work you've given me to do. By the way, you all have work to do. Look at the person sitting next to you say, you got a job. <laughs> you do. You have a job. Now, I don't know what your job is. You got a job. Some of you are like, I need a job. Hello? <laughs> no, but you've got a job. I'm speaking of in the kingdom of God. You have a job. L listen, don't limit the job to your comfort zone. Limit the job to God's calling. Man, I remember when God called me to ministry. It was scary. 
It was scary leaving my job and going to Bible college knowing I was going to be poor. I was terrible. I remember doing I'm like, okay, but God, I'm going to follow you. And by God's grace, I've been able to do that. But listen, you've got to decide. You've got to decide what his purpose is for your life. And you've got to walk in that. If you walk in your comfort, you'll come back around to this. I know I'm talking to some of you right now. You'll come back around to this opportunity that God gave you three years, five years, 15 years ago, where he said, I want you to step into prayer. And you're like, don't have no time for that, God. And he's like, yeah, you do. And then you feel, watch, then you feel discontent because you didn't obey him. Am I talking to anybody right now? I want you to go serve kids. I want you to build the next leaders. I want you to do something that, that takes the life that, that I put in you and transfers it, gives it to someone else. This is faith. This is how we walk with Jesus. But this is how Jesus is praying. Listen, there's an appointed accomplishment work that each one of us has to do. Every single person in this room has a work that God's assigned to him. He says, now, Father, verse 5, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had before the world. Now, I don't have time to do this, but that is not only a Christological statement, it's, a, it's God proper. In other words, Jesus just said, I'm God. I was with you before. You see, listen, you got to remember, they didn't have the Bible. Yeah, yeah. So this is all happening in real time. They're like, is this real? Is it fake? And Jesus is going, listen, I'm going to go back to you, God, with the same glory I had before I left you. I mean, you got to get this because it's important for you. He's God is what he's saying. And he wants us to understand that. See, listen, the best way you could ever glorify God is discover your purpose, walk in it. Listen, can I help you all? It'll take faith. It'll take faith. Some of you are like, but it ain't easy enough, Pastor. It won't be. You're like, that's not encouraging. No, but it's truthful. Listen, I'll tell you the truth. Stepping into doing God's purpose is really exciting because God, God moves through you. He uses your life. Touch other people. It's amazing. But it's not easy. See, because you've got you to understand this. If you're going to touch other people's lives, you can only lead them to the extent that God is leading you. We don't understand that. We just think, oh, no, I'll just go in there and wing it. There ain't no winging it going on. There's lots of prayer and lots of study and lots of time. God, what do you, that, that takes that. Some of you are like, that's too much work. Oh, but it's worth it. I'll tell you what, not everything I've done for God has been easy, but it's really rich and full. I've had the opportunity over the course of many years to touch thousands of lives. That's the same thing I want for all of you. Not because, oh, thousands is, that's not what I'm saying. I've lived out my purpose, still living it out. I want you to do the same. But it'll take courage. It'll take sacrifice. It'll take planning, preparation. It'll take all of those things to accomplish it. You will give up something to get what God has for you. You just need to know that. Everybody wants it to be easy, microwave. I'll read a couple commentaries. I'll go to BibleHub.com, and I know. No, you don't. I, I'm going to say something with the risk of sounding arrogant, and I don't mean it to sound arrogant. What I know about God has not come because I read something online. It's not come that way. It's come with pain. It's come with frustration. It's come with misunderstanding sometimes. It's come with surrender. It's come with humility. It's come with sacrifice. But watch, it's always come with God's goodness, his presence. So I say the hard things to say this. I wouldn't trade it for the world, but it ain't easy. Now watch, am I talking to y'all? You guys are all Christians. You're walking with Jesus. Am I telling the truth right now? The times that God says, do this, it always is like, oh, okay. And then he shows up and it's amazing, but it's not easy. Jesus is about to go to the cross. You think that was easy? Oh, but he's God. He was supposed to do that. Then why did he sweat blood and say, Father, take the cup. If there's any way, take the cup. I don't want to do this, but your will be done. See, there's cost is the point that I'm making. All of us face this, every single one of us in the room. There's not one of us that gets around this idea that it'll cost us something to go ahead and pursue and press on with God. So let's go ahead and jump back in. So Jesus prays for himself first. Then he starts to pray for the disciples. And he prays with, with lots of things. Now, I'm going to jump down to verse 17 to make a point, and I'm going to go backwards. Because the point of praying for the disciples is in verse 17. But he builds the idea. But in verse 17, he says this, Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify to separate from the profane things and to dedicate to God. 
to separate from junk, the world, stuff. Look, there's some things that you're doing that are not evil. They're just stuff. And there's some things that you're doing that are actually evil because they con they're contrary to what God wants for your life. You know, I've been talking with my kids a lot. I've got one in college, one about to graduate high school, and another one who's entering into what will be her junior year. And, and I've just been telling them, are you guys praying about your destiny? See, because kids get so dependent on their parents that they want you to tell them what to do. Am I telling the truth, parents? Just tell me what to go to school for and what degree to, and, and I've been really like, are you guys praying for God's wisdom, his direction? Because I don't know about you, but when I was young, it was all about opportunity, not destiny. They got a job, they're gonna pay me, that's where I'm going. It didn't have any thought to God, how are you gonna use my life? It wasn't until years later when I actually got a little bit of maturity and depth in me that God said, this is the direction I want you to go in. That takes, so listen, parents, encourage your kids. Help them discern what God is saying for their lives. Nothing wrong with being an engineer, nothing wrong with being a doctor. I mean, my wife's little sister is in pre-med. She's brilliant, brilliant. I think, man, nothing wrong with being a doctor. Nothing wrong with that. But are you gonna be a doctor that glorifies God? Or are you just gonna be one that makes money? See, see, and what well, I'm grateful, she's actually passionate about God. I mean, she really wants to honor God. But that's our job as parents to encourage them. I'm, I'm all over the place. Let's, okay, so sanctify them. Okay, sanctify is this, to set apart to God. It's, the root of the word is the word holy. It's hagiadzo, is what the word is here. And he's saying to separate, to put things uh, away that are, are, that are gonna pollute or dilute the presence of God in your life. So when we talk about being set apart, it's set apart means this, being available to God. That would be the first thing. Are you available to God? Question only you can answer. Set apart means this, living in truth. Does the Bible govern your life? When you need wisdom, do you pull out the word and say, how should I handle this? Because if you go with your emotions, you'll probably miss. Just saying, you'll probably miss. And then set apart means loving and forgiving. Like, like set apart means to act in opposite spirit of the world. And you ever had somebody take advantage of you? Didn't you want to get them back? Come on, let's, let's just be fleshy for a second. I don't want to get him back. God, hellfire and brimstone, you pray all crazy. And God's like, oh, man, I ain't done with you yet. And he's like, yes. But, but, but the truth is, we all feel that natural tendency to respond with a fleshy response. But when we take it and we tone that down and we actually allow it to be opposite spirit, kingdom spirit, you find yourself listening with different ears. And you'll find God asking you to do things that are not your natural response, but they're spiritual and they're godly and they're full of truth. Does this make sense, church? See, that is, that, that is being sanctified. That is being set apart. Now, jumping back to verse 6, he's, he says this now. He says, I've manifested your name to the men whom you gave me. Now, my, remind you, he's praying that you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and, and they have kept your word. Now, mind you, Old Testament. There's no New Testament yet. This is the spoken word. This is what Jesus has been communicating to them about what's going to happen. This is in the moment. Now, they've come to know that everything you've given, given me is from you. There's this oneness thing now happening. For, for the words which you gave me, I have given them, and they received them, and they truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. So, so verse 6 is about belonging. By the way, you belong to God. You should feel good about that. So I say, man, I'm in the family of God. You should feel good about that. Verse 7 and 8, the father transferred, gave the knowledge to the son. The, the son transferred, he gave the knowledge to the disciples. That transference is still happening today. That's how it happens. Disciples disciple. Who disciple? That's how it happens. And God is releasing this. But I got a question for you. Did the disciples believe? Let's just be honest about it. Did they? No, they didn't at first. They didn't. That's the right answer. Because you look at it and they all went, whoa. I didn't know that he meant dead, dead. Like, I don't want to be associated with them because that means I could be dead, dead. And they all bailed. They betrayed. They created distance. No, I don't know him. I mean, Peter goes so far as to curse when he says, I don't know him. See, we, we kind of make it all pretty. But in the moment, they did not believe. But watch. Sometimes neither do we. 
Watch, watch, watch. This is good, though. But God brings you around, doesn't he? Just like he did with them. That's what's beautiful about it. Listen, I want to encourage you all. If you're struggling with faith, it's okay. You're like, it's okay to struggle with faith? What a weird pastor. No, listen. Truth, truth. Remember what it says in Timothy? If we deny him, he'll deny us. But if we are faithless, he will remain what? Faithful, because he can't disown himself. See, God's very character is about being faithful, isn't it? So if you're struggling with faith, that's not a problem for God. If you don't believe right now, no big deal. But you should be doing what? Oh, God, help, help my unbelief. I'll be truthful with you guys. Man, this, this is like walking in faith is not easy. And I, I, how many of you guys watch Blue Bloods? I like Blue Bloods. It's a good old show. It's good old boys. I know not all of it's good and pure. Judge me later. But it's good. It's better than most anyways. But he, the, the dad says to the, the younger son, his grandson, he says, he says you're going to learn something about leadership. The higher up you go, the more you're criticized. And the more that you've got to like live from, I've got to take a step and I'm not totally sure what to do. That's, that's leadership. I know that. I, when he said it, I'm like, oh, I understand that. Because I remember when I just ran a Bible study, like four or five people, that's easy. Oh, I only messed with four of you. Now there's hundreds. And they listen online too. And I'm like, oh no, God help me, please. No, but seriously, I'm being really serious that you have to understand that there is a ripple effect to your life. Ripple effect. The higher up you go, the bigger the ripple. That, that's real. That really happens for every single one of us. And he says, listen, I want to push you forward. I want to help you to grow. I don't want you to live in faithlessness. I want you to remember that even when you are, I'm still faithful. I'm going to jump down a few verses just for timing's sake. 1711, he says, I'm no longer into the world. And yet they themselves are in the world. So Jesus is saying, I don't belong here anymore, but they're going to still be here. He said, and I'm going to come to you. Holy Father, keep them, keep interesting word, keep them in your name, the name which is given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. So now he's calling for oneness and for unity. Okay, I want to talk to you about two things real quick. First one is this. There's a lot of thought around being kept in God. Like that verse can be used to to say God keeps you, or you got to really wrestle out to be kept. You can read it either way. And there's some camps who say this about Christianity, that that you can like lose your salvation. There's other camps that say you can't ever lose your salvation. Once you're God, you're God's. And when I was in Bible college, we had to actually write a paper on this. And Chuck Smith came up and spoke. How many of you guys know Chuck Smith? Recently deceased, founder of Calvary Chapel. Probably the, probably the one of the, if not the best, Bible teacher in the world. In the world. Maybe ever. You can get his stuff on podcasts. You can listen to him. Actually, that was one of my classes. was called Chuck Tapes. We had to listen to Chuck Smith teach the whole Bible which was wonderful and painful all at the same time. He talks really slow. I'm just saying he does. <laughs> took a long time to do it. But it was full of wisdom. And now he's like reading the commentaries. He's brilliant. But he came and he did a, a, a lectures for, for the students. Like he actually spoke. He walked in. He walked up to this, this thing. This is when the thing was in Twin Peaks, the school. And he walked up and he spun around and he, boom, he plopped his rump up on this like three or four foot platform. And he proceeded to teach us for three hours without ever opening the scriptures. But he cited them one right after the other, right after the other. It was powerful. And then he talked about this topic. Can you lose it? Can you keep it? And he said this, best advice ever. If you abide in Christ, this is a non-issue. Wow. Abide in him. You don't ever have to worry about whether you're in or out. You don't ever have to worry about it. Just abide in Christ. Man, that's been the counsel I've given thousands of people since that moment. You don't ever have to wonder if God is going to keep you. Now, I'll tell you, I've done a lot of study. I'm pretty sure that you can't do anything to be snatched out of the palm of his hand. That's my, my opinion. But watch, I don't think you can live in the fullness or the fruitfulness of what Jesus went to the cross for unless you're surrendered to him and walking with him, unless you're abiding. Does this make sense? But man, I just, just, so that's one part of it, to be kept. Just such a powerful thought that God desires to keep us. Jesus prayed that the disciples would be kept, and by inference, that we would be also. Like, like listen, the Bible, this is how wild Jesus' prayer life is. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for us. So, 
I, I'm sorry, I'm a little confused because he's like God, right? Yeah, say yes, he is, son of God. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father, but he still prays. Like if you're all-knowing, omniscient, all-powerful, why are you still praying? Ever thought about it? You're like, no, <laughs> I am now. I think he prays for intimacy. I think he prays for a release of love and kindness on us. I think he prays because he's so intricately entwined with each one of our lives. I think he prays that I don't lose all of my hair. I'm just, no, I'm, I'm playing. But he does know the numbers of hair on our head, doesn't he? He knows our thoughts before we think them, doesn't he? See, I think that there's an intimacy that I'm speaking of that many of us don't walk in or understand in prayer. And that is what God is trying to release into our lives. He's saying, man, I want you to walk in this fullness. The other thing that I see in the church, and, and this is just, well, let me read a couple more verses and I'll, I'll jump into this. So let's, let's go down now to verse 15 in John. He said, I don't ask you to take them out of the world. That's kind of a bummer. I mean, if you really think about it, I mean, don't get me wrong, I like living, and, and I like food and enjoying life and playing in the snow and all the things that I've done over the last few days. I like it. But this world is full of some trouble, would you guys agree? There's times it's like rough, it's rough, it can be rough. He said, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but you, that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. By the way, he said that about the disciples, and by inference, he said it about who? <laughs> All of you. Listen, can I help you? Some of you are trying too hard to be part of the world. That's why you're struggling in your faith. And I'm not trying to be mean, I'm just telling you the truth. The harder you try to grab the world, the more difficult walking with Jesus will be. But when you surrender your employment, your friends, your lifestyle, your everything you do, when you surrender it to Jesus, he'll put his hand on it. And he'll lead you, correct you, direct you, guide you, bless you. That's what he desires to do. But it does take us honoring him. See, God has empowered us to walk a sanctified life. He's empowered us to do this thing with, with authority and power. See, every encounter you have, every encounter is an opportunity for you to shine Jesus. Every encounter. See, and that's what he was praying for. God, help them not to be in the world, but they're still in the world. Like, help them not to live as worldly people, but, but let them shine. I mean, Jesus said this in many different ways. I mean, be salt and light. He said a light on a hilltop so that it's bright and it shines for everybody to see. You guys understand. I'm not saying a new concept. Unless you're a brand new Christian, you've heard what I'm speaking of before. He says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they'll see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This about living is, see, Jesus prayed for us to do this. Man, if Jesus prayed for you to do it, that means it should what? Ha happen. It should happen. Which means it's our agreement with his prayer. Amen? Am I killing you guys? Some of you are like, oh, man, Pastor, you're whooping me right now. Don't just hang in. It's okay. This is all about growing in Christ. This isn't about arriving. This is about the journey. This is about discovery. This is about pressing or compelling you into to prayer that's not just an assumption, but it's actually pressing into Jesus. See, the church is the last thing Jesus prays for. Now, the, the church is known as the body of Christ. I think we're all familiar with that. If you've been around, if you've not been around Christianity long, that's how Jesus refers to it. And what's, what's difficult is that the body of Christ has people in it. By the way, you're a people, I'm a people, we're all people, right? Well, then the people get in it, and the people start to be people within the body of Christ. But it's still the body of Christ. So we start to create, like, denominations, like, different ways we denote what we believe. And then we start to go, well, I'm a conservative, or I'm a Pentecostal, or I'm a, I'm a charismatic, I'm part of the holiness movement. Or we do stuff like, I'm from Calvary Chapel, or I'm from Water of Life, or I'm from Church of God, or whatever it might be. We start to, like, identify with different movements. But listen, at the end of the day, it's all the body of Christ. The problem with all of this is every single one of them thinks that they're better than the other. That's the biggest problem I see in Christianity today that we dismiss another person's worship because we're not comfortable with it. Not because it's ungodly, not because it's unbiblical, because it doesn't fit, scratch my itch, it doesn't fit the way that I do it or I think it should be done. Well, you know, I, can, can I give you just a little bit of food for thought on this? A little food for thought? All of you in this room are different, yeah? Some of you are really funny, some of you are really serious. Some of you can't keep your eyes focused on anything for more than like two seconds. Some of you are like detail-oriented, like you can, some of you are really creative and artsy. Some of you are rule followers, you're all what? 
You're all different. Listen, can I suggest to you that maybe churches are different because people are different and God knew that? Like, I, I, people have come here and they said, oh, you teach so much better than XYZ pastor. Or you teach so much better than this church. And I'm like, oh, brother, I hate that stuff. Like, it really... Because I know this, that then when they leave here because they get mad at me, they're going to go, oh, you teach so much better than Summit. I just know that's going to happen. You know, like we just get... So I had somebody come one time and they say, oh, you teach so much better than Pastor Dan down at Water of Life. And at first my head went... And I went, oh, no, 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 okay, honestly. And then I said this to him, I go, who do you think I learned how to teach from? I mean, I've been part of the guy's church since 1993. Hello? Like the majority of my Christianity, I've sat underneath his teaching and his leadership. Now, I know I'm independent now, and I, and I follow as God leads, but he's still a resource to me. I'm like, how do you think I learned how to do that? People go, you're kind of funny. Listen to him. He's way funnier than I am. He is. He's kind of deep, and he's technical. I can be deep and technical. Learned it from him. And the person said that to me, and I said, wow. I go, that's a nice compliment, but the truth is, I, I learned from him. I learned from him. See, I don't want the comparison game. Listen, I don't think Jesus wanted it either. I shared this with you. It was either last week or the prior week. I've had people come, and they complain to me about everything, you know, the style of worship, how long the worship is, how loud the worship is. And I know, like, we try to attend to that stuff because we do understand that if we're blowing your eardrums out, you probably don't want to sit in the room. We understand that those plastic chairs are uncomfortable. We understand. Got to raise some money to buy new ones, but we understand they're not super comfortable. We understand is the point I'm making. But when people start to question how God has wired us, and they say, I don't like how long you worship, I always say this to them, this probably isn't your church. And not because I'm trying to be mean. I'm trying to help them find where they belong. I'm trying to just help them, because I know this, that if Jesus put you here, you're going to come and be blessed. And if he didn't, you need to go to wherever you're supposed to be. That's not mean. I've had people say, your church doesn't grow because you say stuff like that. Well, uh, I think the people in my church have grown a lot. I do think that. And, I don't try, and I'm not trying to be flippant. I, I just try to be faithful to what God has asked me to do as a pastor and how to lead this church. And, and I'm not always right. I understand that. I know that there's sometimes I get up and have bad days and I don't drink enough coffee like y'all. I do. <laughs> I get it. But the point is this. I'm as human as you are. I'm just called or entrusted to lead this, this group. And I, and I do try to do that with diligence and with prayer. I do. But I also understand this, that if this isn't the place, you need to be where God put you. You be there. So, so and Jesus understood that. I think it's just tremendous and terrible that we as a church don't see that when one portion of the body hurts, the entire body hurts. And I'm not speaking of somebody sitting in this room committed to this church talking about if, if Calvary Chapel's hurting or, or if Abundant Living's hurting or, or Journey up the street is hurting. When they're hurting, we're hurting. I think it would be so much healthier if the church just gave room for the difference because God is unique and creative. I just, I just really think that. So I, I hope you, you suffer that whatever statement without taking it to, you know, whatever. Trying to be nice, trying to eloquently say, don't judge me. Okay, so... <laughs> But, but I do want you to rightly discern for yourself. I do want you to do that. And if I can help you do that, I would love to. You know, I, I, a little bit of a tangent, and I'll wrap up. Um, I had a, a young leader talking to me about, about women in the church and some different topics like that. And, and he said, what's your opinion? And I said, why are you asking? Because anytime somebody asks you a loaded question like that, I'm like, I want to know where this is coming from. And I honestly, I never answered his question. I just kind of tried to pick out of his brain what he thought. Because I don't necessarily want somebody to have my opinion on something. I mean, if it's biblical, then I'll say it is biblical. But we kind of went round and round it. But what it did is that it actually earned trust with him. So when we were done, we didn't actually ultimately totally agree with our positions. But because I'd given him enough room to share and some thoughtful conversation, he sought me for other counsel with other things. And, I, and it was, then I found it a privilege because now I had the opportunity to speak into him. I didn't seek to be right, even though I was, no, I'm playing, but even though <laughs> I'm playing, I'm playing. I didn't seek to be right. What I sought was dialogue that sharpened each other. I'm, I'm 30 years a senior, have a lot more experience. 
but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm right. So I wanted to hear him, and I wanted to sharpen him, and, and now he's texting me, hey, what do you think about this? Or, hey, what do you think about that? Or, hey, when this happened at this, this situation, what did, he's asking me questions. And now I see it as an opportunity for us to dialogue how to get God's sense of something. That makes sense? I think that that's healthy. That's, I think, the way God designed the church to be. If he's struggling and I can impart, if I'm struggling and he can impart, that's good. That's what Jesus prayed for. That was Jesus's actual prayer. I want them to be together, to be unified, to be on the same page. See, listen, in verse 20 now, and I'm going to wrap this up. He says, I don't ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who will believe in me through their word. By the way, who's that? That's us. That's us. See, now we do have the New Testament, and the New Testament was their words. John, Mark, Paul, <laughs> Matthew, all of them. They wrote, and we read, their words imparted to us, help us to grow. This was Jesus' prayer. He said, I don't only ask for those who believe in me, but those who will believe through, my, through their word, that they may be one. Now he's talking about unity, this oneness. Even as you, Father, are in me and I'm in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. So when we're disunified, what does the world think? When we don't live in unity as believers, what does the world think? Oh my gosh, you know how many times I've had believers say to me, well, what kind of pastor are you? And I'm talking about worldly people. Well, what do you mean? Well, none of you guys agree. I've had people say that to me probably a hundred times. And I'm like, well, I'm the kind that believes that Jesus went to the cross, rose from the dead to forgive me of my sins. I don't know about all the peripheral stuff, but pretty sure it's the simplicity of the gospel that he died for sinners of which I am one. <laughs> you know? so, but, but I watch that. See, when we don't live in unity, when we start criticizing everybody across boundaries, what we actually do is we demonstrate that we don't understand who God is. You know, I, I was talking to a, another good friend of mine, and he was talking about all of the denominations in the church, and he said, you know, that's man's thing, that's man's thing. And I said, well, you know, per perhaps. Perhaps denominations are man's thing, but pretty sure I still think God is sovereign, and he knew we would do that. And whether God fully agrees with it or not, I think he can work in spite of people. I think the Bible demonstrates that over and over and over. I think sometimes we just need to sit back and think, you know, people are okay. They're just a little weird. You know, they are. But God is not, and he's sovereign. I, the person pressed me really hard, and I said, man, you can't, you can't tell me for a second that Jesus somehow stopped being the head of his body because you don't agree with the denomination or a style of worship. I just think that's, that's naive. I think it's naive. Yes. Yeah, of sorts, but there's, I, I would say it like this. Think, think like this when you think of denomination. There's a group of people that needed somebody to lead them to a connection point with God. And that might have taken them out of an, a former structure. And now they're te they're, there's tension in that. I, listen, this is the New Testament. We're, we're people who follow the way. Well, that's that Jesus guy, isn't it? I, I mean, didn't they do this? We're of the way. I mean, it, it was Antioch was the first place the Christians were called Christians. It wasn't until like a few decades later that that actually occurred. And then all of the separation, and I just think it was this. There were different pressures at different times where, in my opinion, God anointed leaders to lead. Were they always right? No, we're human. Were they entirely wrong? No, because he's God. You just got to give room for God to be God. Somebody please say amen. I hope that, that that's a, I don't know if that was a good explanation, but it was the one I'm going to give, and we're moving on now. So Jesus prays for his disciples for unity. Those who believe through their words, that's you and I. And Jesus prays for us to be in unity so that the world will believe in him. Not in us. Not about believing in us. You don't have to believe what I think. You have to believe what God thinks. And you should know the word enough to know what God thinks. I'm going to harp it on you guys. Get into your Bibles. There's no reason why we should be so anemic with knowing what the Scriptures say. 
I'm shocked by the lack of intent in studying the scriptures. And I'm not talking about being me. I'm just talking about knowing them. Just knowing them. It, we just don't do it anymore. See, Jesus, this, this idea of oneness, the glory which you gave me, verse 32, 22, pardon me, you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. Listen, this is Jesus referencing the great Shema, the great hearing out of Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. One. Just like God is in unity, we should be in unity as well. See, see listen, it's us moving into a new season as believers, not comparing ourselves to another church or another thing or even another person. It's you just sitting before the presence of God and saying, where do I live in my own heart, God? And what are you trying to do in me to help me grow? See, it's different for everybody in the room. Every single one of us has a different call or place of growth that God is doing in each one of us. For some of you, it might just be start praying. I taught this. Listen, I taught this series because I know some of you don't what? You don't, you don't pray. You don't pray. You don't spend any time in prayer. It's casual. It's convenient. It's on the way to something. It's when I'm in trouble. By the way, those are all good reasons to pray. But I'm talking about actually having a prayer life. I'm not actually having a devotional life. See, when they watched Jesus, Jesus' lifestyle was one of prayer. Stayed up all night and prayed. Fasted and prayed. I mean, just remarkable. And I think, man, I've got to grow. I've got to grow myself as your pastor in my prayer life. And I think this, so do all of us. See, Jesus started, he started by praying for himself. God, help me to be in tune with what you're doing. Then he started by praying for those he had influence over, his disciples. And he said, hey, I thought I want you to be able to move them the way you move with me. And then he prayed for us, the church, those who would come, in our case, a couple of millennia later, that we would be able to study this stuff, learn and grow. See, man, so, so watch. Let me take this into your homes now. You're like, what do I do with that? Because I ain't Jesus. We all know. <laughs> but you should pray like somebody who Jesus lives in. Shouldn't you? So shouldn't you start praying, God, would you help line up my heart with your heart? Help me to hear your wisdom and your direction. Help me not to be defensive and critical. Help me to listen to you. Would you tune my ears to hear your voice? Would you give me the courage to follow it? That second one is powerful. Because following it's harder than hearing it. I'll tell you the truth. We all have kids. We've all told them to do stuff. And they all don't listen. <laughs> We're just like kids. See, listen. That's where it starts. And then you say stuff like this. God, in my sphere of influence, with my husband, my wife, with my children, in my workplace. Maybe you're a boss. Maybe you have influence on those. Maybe you're not a boss, but, but you, you sharpen them by being in their presence. You're like, you're Jesus in their presence. Maybe you're just living as light around them. God, help me to influence those who are entrusted to me. Help me to have an impact on those that are around me. And then when we come together for faith, for church, for other Bible studies, for things you do that I don't even know about, but they're in the name of Jesus, that you come together and you do something that glorifies God because you're building each other. You're building each other. You're not building your own kingdom. You're building God's kingdom. And then he says this in verse 23. He says, in them, in you and me, that they may be perfected in unity, made complete, accomplished in unity, so that the world will know that you sent me and loved them, and loved them even as you have loved me. So at the end of the day, it all boils down to this. How well do you love? That's ultimately what it all boils down. How well do you love? Man, I tell you, God has been challenging me on this. How well do you love, James? I'm like, well, I love the people who love me back. <laughs> Come on, you know I'm telling the truth. This is every one of us. But loving the unlovely is hard. Loving people that are at odds with you is hard. But that's what God calls us to. See, Jesus loved those who put him to death. See, that's what we're called to. So, so as I wrap this up, I just want to put some thoughts before you. And we're not going to do the big hurrah, okay? No big hurrah. If you need prayer, we'll make prayer available for you afterwards. But I just want you to listen to a few thoughts. Some of you in the room, you're just really, really trying to say, what do I do next? Let, just make a commitment to pray. Listen, I'm pretty sure 
that if you just carved out 10 minutes in the morning, you wouldn't die from getting up 10 minutes earlier? Or watch, I'm going to tell on all you, or not being on Facebook for those 10 minutes? Ooh. <laughs> you know I'm telling the truth, or Instagram, or whatever's your flavor, but actually giving God just 10 minutes. And in that 10 minutes, you're going to pray, God, would you help me understand you and what you're doing? Just, I want to live out of this intimacy and relationship with you. God, would you help me to understand those in my family, those who I'm interacting with that I have influence on? And God, would you help me to understand those in the broader scope of my life, my, my coworkers, the people at church? How do I love them, serve them, encourage them? Does this make sense? Yeah. Yeah. See, listen, I know this, that when you ask God to do this, he's going to bring you some opportunities. You have to be aware. Listen, you have to be aware. Because my experience has been this, and this is, I'm closing with this. Those opportunities often come at the most inconvenient moments ever. Man, my opportunities always come when I'm in a hurry, and I'm always in a hurry. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to slow down to see what it is that God is trying to influence you with. So I want to encourage you all, start praying. That's what this, this whole series was about. Start praying. Pray out of identity. Pray out of the Our Father who art in heaven. Like, pray structure. Whatever works for you to start praying, make a list. If a list helps you stay focused, make a list. I pray for Heather. I pray for Michael. I pray for Julia. I pray for how God is influencing their friends. I pray for them. I do it every day. I pray for them because I know this. They're in a crucial season of their lives, much like your teenagers are, and they need somebody to believe for them. They need godly friends around them. Man, I'm on my knees for my boy right now. There are a lot of people around him who are not God lovers. They're not. And I don't want him to get sidetracked from being a God lover. Look, look, and I know. I know you. Our kids grew up together. Many of you in this church, our kids have literally grown up together. I've known some of you 8 years, 10 years, 12 years. Our kids have grown up together. And we struggle when we watch them face those decisions that you're like, that's not godly. We trained you differently than that. But at this point, it's prayer. At this point, I still speak. I'm a dad. I still speak. <laughs> but I pray a lot more than I speak. I'm like, God, I need your Holy Spirit to influence them. I need you to be in their world. I need you to help them see. Listen, it's not any different than the way I pray for you all. I pray for you guys the same way. God, help them to see who they are in you. Help them to discover it. Help them, help them to be purposeful, intent, not just do life but live. You know what I'm saying? All right, let me pray for you. I'll send you home. Lord, thank you for this group here today. And, and I know in a group like this that this could be um, instructional, could be confrontive, could be encouraging, possibly even deflating, and that is certainly not my heart. God, I pray for every person in the room that you would draw them, that those uh, 3 o'clock wake-up calls where you think you just got up to go to the restroom, that's not what was happening that God was actually wanting you to talk to him for a few minutes. For those wake-up calls, those moments in the middle of the day where God puts somebody on your heart to just stop and lift them up, not just run straight past the thought, maybe even send them a message, hey, I'm praying for you. God, I pray that you would put people on our hearts, that you would create divine appointments, that as we pray for ourselves to be in line with you, that, that we'd hear your voice, that your words would speak life to us. And God, as we, we pray for those that are in our world, our, our families, our, our co-workers, our friends, God, that you would give us wisdom to be light, to manifest your glory to them. And, and God, I pray for us, not only just in our world of faith, like church and different things that we're involved in, God, help us to be those who encourage others to keep pressing on to the high mark in Christ. God, we're grateful that we belong to you. Somebody say amen. We are really really grateful. God, we're really grateful you're not done with us yet. We're really grateful that you encourage us to come into your presence with intimacy and knowledge and talk to you about the issues of our lives so we can hear your wisdom and your direction with what to do. God, I pray that for every one of us in the room. As we go, I pray we go blessed, encouraged, lifted up, that God, you're for us, and if you're for us, nothing can be against us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. All right. God bless you all. If you do need prayer, a couple of the...